right, if you remain standing, we're going to read passage scripture. This is from Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. Uh, you can follow along as I read this uh, passage from uh, Dr. Luke. Uh, they, referring to the early church, devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's, uh, let's pray together and then we'll dive into this, uh, this passage Lord, we're thankful that we can be here today. Uh, thank you for um, the fact that we realize that we're simply strangers and pilgrims on this planet, that our citizenship is in heaven. And Lord, we uh, look forward to that day when we will all be together in heaven and uh, enjoying your, your presence. Uh, Lord, in the meantime, help us to be faithful to uh, the task that you've called us to. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to pray for one another. Lord, help us to, uh, to love one another as you've called us to do. And Lord, as we look at this passage this morning about uh, the early church and uh, how you worked through them, Lord, may it speak to our hearts. May our lives be changed because we've been here today. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2. If I were to ask you a question this morning, who wrote most of the New Testament? I would imagine that most of us would say that the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. That's true by the number of books, but by volume, the one who wrote most of the New Testament is Dr. Luke, because he wrote the book of Acts, which is uh, 28 chapters. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, 24 chapters, and so volume-wise, Dr. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than the Apostle Paul did. And uh, here we are in the, in the book of Acts, and we're going to get to chapter 2, verse 42 in just a minute, but just, just a little bit of context and setting to set up this passage. Uh, remember, we looked at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus after, after Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Jesus made at least 10. Uh, we looked at a number of those. The last one is Acts chapter 1. And here is Jesus, and he ascends up to heaven. And what's he tell his disciples? Don't leave Jerusalem, but I want you to wait here for the promised Holy Spirit. So there were about 120 believers. They're in an upper room, and for 10 days they are praying. They're taking care of some business. They, uh, they elect a 12th apostle because Judas Iscariot is no longer with them. They elect Matthias. And then as we saw two weeks ago in Acts chapter 2... Something dramatic happened during the Feast of Pentecost. The believers were together. They heard a sound like a violent wind. There were uh, tongues of fire that came down from heaven and spread and kind of set over each of them. They were a, a, had the ability to speak in a foreign language. And people who were there gathered from all over the, the known world to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost began to hear these early believers speaking language in their own language, and it wasn't the language of the, the day. 
was their own foreign language, and all of a sudden they're like, what in the world is happening here? And of course, we know the day of Pentecost is the birth of the church. And Peter stands up and says, let me tell you what's going on here. This is a fulfillment of prophecy from the prophet Joel hundreds of years earlier. And the church was born, and Peter preaches this powerful message. You can read it in Acts chapter 2, and he says, uh, guess what? Uh, Jesus was the Messiah, and you killed him. You put him to death. And they're like, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 people come into the kingdom. And now there's uh, the church is comprised of 3,120 believers. 3,000 of them are baby Christians. What do you do with 3,000 baby Christians? Well, that's a good, that's a good question, good problem to have. And uh, we read about it in Acts chapter 2 in verses 42 through 47. Now, here's a question we need to think about before we get into the text. And it's this. Is this passage prescriptive? In other words, everything we read here, is this, are these commands or is this passage descriptive? In other words, is this just describing the early church? And so, as I've looked at this, the answer is is kind of both. We're going to look at some things in here that are commanded in other places of Scripture, so we certainly need to be doing them. But in general, this is a descriptive passage about what those early believers did. And this morning, and we'll get through this relatively quickly, but uh, we're going to look at ten characteristics of the early church. Ten characteristics of the, the first century church. And so we're going to pick it up in this very uh, familiar passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, uh, you can turn there. Um, so ten marks, ten characteristics. What was that first century church like? And here's the first one. Uh, the first mark or characteristic of the first century church was commitment. Commitment. Look at it in verse 42. It's really the first three words. They, those early believers, devoted themselves. Devoted themselves. So they had a commitment to something. And we're going to find out what they were committed to as we go through the, the passage. Uh, the New King James Version says they continued steadfastly. The, the Greek word is proskarterio. It means to persevere, exerting great effort to persist in doing something. So they were, they were committed, they were devoted, they had some priorities in their lives, and they kept doing things that they were committed to. Now, if I were to ask you a question, what, what are you committed to today? And I, I, I look at our, our culture today, and there's a lot of things that people commit to. And they're not bad things, but sometimes they take the priority of what we need to commit to. This new group of believers had some priorities, these 3,120 believers. And they exercised commitment, as we're going to see, it's commitment to, to being together, it's commitment to God's word, it's commitment to prayer. To be honest, I think one of the things that's lacking in the 21st century church is commitment. That... that um, We've gone from commitment to convenience. And these early believers were committed. What were they committed to? Well, let's look at um, 
the first thing. They devoted themselves, here's the first thing, the apostles' teaching. Now, what was the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching would have certainly been the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written. So when they got together, they would be studying the the Old Testament scrolls. Uh, Something else that they probably were uh, committed to, the apostles' teaching, was the witness and testimony of the apostles to the person and work of Christ. I mean, this is, this is just six weeks after um, the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is not very long since Jesus ascended to heaven, and the apostles had spent three years with Jesus. They, they had walked with him and talked with him and seen his miracles. And so they were committed to the apostles' teaching of the Old Testament and no doubt teachings about Jesus. How would you like it if next Sunday we said, well, next Sunday uh, our speaker is going to be, uh, the Apostle Peter is going to be preaching the message. <laughs> and the Sunday after that will be the Apostle John who's going to be preaching the message. And, and John who wrote in his uh, first John, he says, let me tell you, we, we've seen him with our own eyes. We've held him with our own hands. This Jesus we declare to you. It would have been great to see and hear a message from someone who actually had been with Jesus. And, and that's what they were experiencing in, in the, the early church. They were committed steadfastly to the Word of God. And that's where uh, our church stands. We're called Community Bible Church. What are we committed to? We're committed to the Word of God. And we're committed to teaching and preaching uh, Jesus and him crucified and risen again. And the scriptures not only tell us the way to salvation, but they tell us how to live our lives. So they were committed steadfastly, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. What else were they committed to? Verse 42, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to fellowship, to fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. It simply means to share something together. Now, 2,000 years later... We've uh, almost uh, identified the word fellowship with food. <laughs> and, and that is part, you know, you can share a meal together. That's fellowship. You're sharing, you're sharing food together. Uh, and we probably don't help that because we say, uh, okay, we're going to have a fellowship time after the service and there's food there. And then uh, we say about every month or five weeks, we're going to have a fellowship meal and there's food there. And we have a men's fellowship breakfast, and there's food there. We have a ladies' fellowship breakfast, and there's food there. But fellowship, biblical fellowship, is much deeper than just sharing food together. The word has a much deeper meaning. It's sharing our lives together. Uh, perhaps the best descriptive passage of this is, is Romans chapter 12, where Paul begins to delineate some responsibilities that we have to one another in the body of Christ. He goes to be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, rejoice with those that rejoice, and mourn with those that mourn. Live in harmony with one another. What's, what's Paul talking about? He's talking about sharing life together. Being with each other in the good times 
walking and praying with each other through the valleys that come into our life. And the New Testament church, the early church, was committed to fellowship, to sharing their lives together. So if we were to paraphrase the first two things, they were committed to God's word, they were committed to one another. Uh, A good study in the, the Gospels or the New Testament is to trace that phrase, one another, uh, Gene Getz uh, from Dallas Seminary wrote a, a book called One Another, and he traced 12 phrases, one another phrases in the New Testament that tells us our responsibility to one another. We're to pray for one another, encourage one another, uh, bless one another, uh, on and on it goes. And uh, that's, that's biblical fellowship. Well, thirdly, uh, actually number four, but the third thing that they were committed to was, it says in Acts chapter 2, the, the breaking of bread, the breaking of bread. Most commentators believe that this was uh, refers to communion, the, the Lord's table. So what else did they commit to? God's word, one another, and then the Lord's table, communion. We believe that there are two ordinances given to the church. There's no saving value in these ordinances, but it's simply a matter of obedience and it's baptism and also the Lord's table. And so what did the early church do that they gathered together on a regular basis? And one of the things that they did was that they observed the Lord's table, uh, the wafer and the cup, as a reminder of the cross. And it's really what Jesus said, and it's on the front of our communion table this morning, carved in there, this do in remembrance of me. There's something I never, ever, ever want you to forget. I never want you to forget the cross. I never want you to forget uh, the shed blood of our Savior who paid the price for our sin so that we could be in heaven someday. And so they were devoted to the Lord's table. How long are we to do that? 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul writes in describing the Lord's table, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the church has been given the, the communion table, the Lord's table, as a remembrance. The scriptures don't tell us how often to do it, to observe the Lord's table. Some churches do it every Sunday. Some churches do it once a month. We do it every other month. Uh, and also at a Christmas Eve. So seven times a year, we gather together and partake of the bread and the cup as a way of remembering what Christ has done for us. I don't know about you, but this time of the year... We get a lot of invitations, and you've gotten them as well. Wedding invitations, graduation invitations, and open houses, and I think we've got uh, 10 or 11 between uh, weddings and, and uh, open houses to attend. And, and it, it's fun. It, it's, you feel privileged to, to get an invitation I want you to realize this morning, but when we come together and observe the Lord's table, you have an invitation from Jesus Christ himself. I want you to come together and remember my broken body and my shed blood that I gave for you. And the early church was committed to the breaking of bread. Well, there's a fourth thing that they were committed to. And it's, again, the last part of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So 
Here's another thing that was driving the early church. Uh, they had just spent 10 days in the upper room, and what were they mostly doing? They were mostly praying, and the early church was committed to prayer. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7 uh, back in the Old Testament, uh, here's a passage, and it's describing who God is. Let me read verse 7 to you. It says, What other nation is so great, and to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? What other nation has a God like ours, in other words, uh, the Old Testament is saying, who is near us when we pray? The answer is no one. Ah, the privilege of prayer. Remember that story in uh, 1 Kings 18. It was the story of Elijah. And, and he's meeting with the prophets of Baal. And it's this big showdown. And the prophets of Baal are like crying on their God to, to, to send fire from heaven. And, and uh, they're, they're dancing and they're... Uh, cutting themselves with knives. It went on for four or five hours and there was no response. And Elijah gets a little sarcastic. He says, maybe, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe your God is away on a trip. Maybe he's hard of hearing. And then Elijah gets up and he has him pour a bunch of water on the sacrifice and probably came from the Mediterranean Sea. Remember, they, they, we just went through, what, a three-week drought. They had three-and-a-half-year drought. Imagine that. The God who answers by fire and Elijah prays and God shows up in a big way. The privilege of prayer. James 5.16 says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And uh, we forget that, don't we? That there is, there is power in prayer. And so Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourself to prayer. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. One of the things I've loved about our Beyond Awana program, and once we get the kids back here in the auditorium and before we close with our worship time, uh, Danielle Reefmiller asks them for prayer requests. And boy, do these kids have prayer requests. She makes a list, and, and it's like sometimes it's like 13, 14, 15, and, uh, but it's great because they're learning what, what do you do when you have a problem, when you have a need? You, well, you pray. And then Danielle gives me the list, and I try to pray through all of it. Uh, prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book entitled Prayer. Uh, Tim Keller just recently, um, was promoted to heaven with pancreatic cancer. He was 72 years old. Here's what he wrote in his book on prayer. The power of the Spirit descends on the early Christians. He's talking about the book of Acts. In response to prayer, and leaders are selected and appointed only with prayer, all Christians are expected to have a regular, faithful, devoted prayer life. And so God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him through prayer. All right, five more things they were devoted to. Uh, here's uh, the fifth thing. It's in verse 43. A sense of awe or wonder or fear. 
the word is literally phobos, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And so there is a sense of, of holy fear and reverence for God amongst those early believers. Something that we have totally lost in our culture today, a, a, a reverential fear for a holy God says they were filled with awe the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Jesus gave the apostles the authority to work miracles. I don't know if anybody's watched the series The, the Chosen. I find it fascinating. Um, and I remember one of the episodes, you know, they, they covered this. And here the apostles are going out and they're, they're healing people. We'll, we'll see next week in uh, the next chapter, Acts uh, uh, chapter 3, that Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer. There's a lame man there, and what's Peter do? He, he, he's begging for money, and Peter says, uh, I don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he walked. And the early church saw these miracles and signs and wonders, and, and uh, they had a sense of awe and fear for who God is. There's really a paradox in Scripture, and we need to understand it. Um, probably over 300 times the Bible says, don't be afraid. But also says over and over again, fear God. And uh, so there's, there's a little difference in that, the, the, what those words mean. But certainly we are to have a holy reverence for who God is. Uh, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28? Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said, don't be afraid of somebody that can kill you. You need to have a reverence for someone who holds your eternal destiny in his, in his hands. And so there was a... Uh, there was a fear of God in the early church. And when we get to Acts chapter 5 and the story of Ananias and Sapphira, um, it's after that story, it says, a great fear came across the whole church of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember the story that uh, they uh, were hypocritical and they gave an offering and and uh, God strikes both of them dead because they weren't they weren't honest they weren't truthful. Uh, a sense of of God's reverential uh, fear and trust in our life. Well, they had that in the early church. Here's uh, number number six, I believe, of the nine. Generosity, generosity. Look at it, verses forty four and forty five. All the believers were together. And had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So here's, here's the early believers. They were together. Since they had everything in common. Uh, some have interpreted this as saying that like the early church like was practicing like socialism, that they, they pooled all their goods together. That wasn't what was happening. What was happening is that they were committed to one another. And in verse 45, it says, if somebody 
and the church had a need, they would sell their possession and they would sell their property to meet the need of a fellow believer. That's, that's commitment. And uh, that's what Barnabas did in, in Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 4. Uh, the end of the chapter says, There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anybody who had need. Wouldn't it be interesting <laughs> next Sunday somebody came to church and said, Hey, I, I just sold a, a piece of a property and a piece of land and here's, here's the finances and, and anybody that has a need in your congregation, would you bless them with that? That's what was happening. And so there was a spirit of generosity. And they didn't have any programs like we do, social programs, government programs. I mean, today we have this, this safety net for, uh, to some extent for people. There was no welfare back then. There was no Social Security checks. There's no Medicaid. There's no Medicare. Um, really, the, the, the church was what was there to help people in, in need. And as we're going to see later on in the book of Acts, they had a food distribution ministry. They, they were the first uh, meals on wheels, and uh, the apostles were distributing food to people that had need, and it kind of a, a problem arose. There was some jealousy that was going on, and, and we'll look at that when we get there. But generosity marked the early church. And that's the mark of a Christian, isn't it? God wants us to be generous. In Ephesians chapter 4, when... Uh, the Apostle Paul's writing about uh, the, the change in a person's life, put off, put on, put off stealing, but put on working with your hands what, so that you might have uh, money to meet the needs of your own family, but also what to meet the needs of others. You know who gets blessed the most when you God blesses you and you're able to meet someone else's need? I guarantee you, you the giver, gets blessed just as much as the recipient. Uh, it is more, what, blessed to give than to receive. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 15. The author of Hebrews writes these words, uh, There through Jesus... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. First John three seventeen and 18 says, um, One of the evidences of the love of God and the fact that we've been born again is that we are, we are generous uh, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. And uh, that's exactly what, what you all did with Live Global and John and Becky Shirley's ministry. Generosity. Uh, number seven. What else marked the early church? What were they devoted to? Well, Acts chapter 2, verse 46, as we continue on. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So initially, when the church was born, they were meeting in the, the, the temple courts outside the temple. Uh, very soon they moved to meeting in homes. Church buildings and church history didn't appear until about 300 A.D., But these early believers were meeting together every day in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Here's the food part. So we get got to the food part, didn't we? Yeah. They they shared meals together. And uh, what 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 a great thing to to do as as a as a church family. And we occasionally have these fellowship meals, but. I hope that outside of that, that uh, what a great thing to do is to, to get together and, and share a meal outside of the church walls. And uh, that's, that's something that uh, is, is a, a good practice to, to get into. Um, I, got, I had a call on Monday of this week, late morning, from somebody in the congregation. And they called me up and I said, uh, what are you doing for lunch? It's about 11 o'clock. And I said... Don't know. <laughs> and uh, we went uptown, or we actually went to Linda's Diner and, and, and shared a, a lunch together. On, uh, on Friday uh, morning, uh, three or four of our guys got together, met at the church, and went and had a breakfast in Brooklyn. Uh, this, is, this is a great thing to do, to, to encourage each other and to, to get to know one another. And, and that was the dynamic of, of the early church. They were, they were sharing meals together, whether in their homes or whether in a restaurant. It was, it was getting together and sharing life together. All right, two more and then we're, we're done. Uh, number, uh, number eight, number nine, but this is the eighth thing that they were devoted to. Um, Verse 47, praising God. So they broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts. And then what were they? They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So while they fellowshiped together, while they ate together, they were praising God. How do we praise God today? Um, There are lots of ways that we can do that. We can praise Him in, in song. Ephesians 5 talks about that, being filled with the Spirit praising Him in songs and uh, making melody in our heart to the Lord. Um, We can praise Him with our lips. Hebrews 13 that we read, verse 15, uh, let's offer the sacrifice of praise, uh, the fruit of our lips, testifying of what what God's done in our life. Psalm 164, uh, uh, chapter 164, verse 130 says, Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Uh, the psalmist wrote. And so a life of praise and a life of thanksgiving. Psalm 119.62, At midnight I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. And so um, the early church was characterized by eating meals together, but also uh, praising God together and what he had done in their lives. Well, the last thing that they were committed to, and uh, this is the last part of verse 47. It says, They broke bread in their homes, they ate together with gladness in their hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And guess what happened? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Wouldn't that have been an exciting time where like, uh, and, and Acts follows the exponential growth of the, of the church. It started in Jerusalem and then it moved out to Judea and Samaria and utter, eventually went to the uttermost parts of the earth. But God was bringing people to faith in Christ on a daily basis as the apostles and the believers, what, gave testimony to what God had done and shared, shared the gospel. And so number, number 10 uh, that they were committed to is evangelism or, or, or sharing the good news of the gospel. Acts 4.33, when it's describing the early church, it says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so these were, these were people who were eyewitnesses of, of, of the resurrection of Jesus and they, they proclaimed the gospel and that Jesus was alive and the church grew exponentially. Greg Laurie in his book on evangelism is entitled Tell Someone. You can share the good news. The first chapter is subtitled uh, Something Christians and Non-Christians Have in Common. What is it that Christians and non-Christians have in common? Greg Laurie writes, It's been said there's one thing that believers and non-believers have in common. They are both uptight about evangelism. When it comes to sharing the gospel, it seems we plan for failure far more often than success. Maybe that's why statistics indicate that 95% of all Christians have never led another person to Christ. For many Christians, the Great Commission has become the Great Omission. Chapter 2 is entitled, Effective Sharing Starts with Caring. Boy, is that true? I know it's a, an old saying, um, and it can be generalized, but I think it's true. People don't, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. If you're going to share the gospel with someone, that person needs to know that you care about them. And uh, acts of love and concern and kindness is really fertilizing the soil in a person's life, a non-believer's life, for you to have an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. And so it's Ron Hutchcraft. Uh, Ron Hutchcraft was uh, uh, involved with Youth for Christ for a number, many, uh, number of years, and now he has a ministry to the... Uh, most neglected people in America, which are um, the Native Indians. And Ron Hutchcraft, every, every summer, uh, takes a team of people and they go out to the Indian reservations out west where the alcoholism rate and the suicide rate is off the charts. And I've heard him say this many times, that they go on these Indian reservations and he says, you've set foot on there and you can sense and feel the darkness, the spiritual hold that Satan has on those people. And they go and they, they share the good news of the gospel. And I've heard many, many times of these testimonies of these Native American Indians who have... Uh, turn their lives around and now their hope is in Jesus and when they do that they are a powerful powerful witness for the kingdom so Ron Hutchcraft 
uh, talks about the three open prayer. And I've shared this many times, but let me just go over it with you in, in, as we close this morning. He calls it the three open prayer. Colossians chapter 4 is the first uh, reference for the three open prayer. And it's found in verse 3. Here's what Paul writes. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message. So the three open prayer is this. We need to be praying, God, would you open a door for me to share the gospel? Uh, would you help me to be aware? And when we pray that, we, uh, we become much more uh, open and our antennas up for opportunities to, to share Christ. So, Lord, would you open a door? Uh, the second part of the three open prayer is found in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, where it's talking about uh, Paul uh, being in Philippi, and he's witnessing to a businesswoman by the name of Lydia, and it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Lord, would you open a door? But as you open the door for the gospel, would you open this person's heart to the gospel? Because without that, they're not going to come to faith in Christ. And the Lord opened the heart of Lydia's door, and she became a follower of Jesus. And then the last part of the three open prayer, Lord, would you open a door? Lord, would you open a person's heart and help them to be receptive to the gospel? Colossians 4.4, 4, Paul writes, Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. The last part is, Lord, would you open my mouth? Would you give me um, boldness to share the gospel with someone? And uh, that's uh, when, we, when we pray those prayers, then our radars are up and uh, we're more in tune to sharing the gospel. Someone has said we need to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. And so prayer is the fertile soil for, for sharing God's truth. Well, ten characteristics of the early early church, what, what are they? they? They were committed, they were devoted to nine things. The apostles teaching the word of God, fellowship, one another, uh, observance of the Lord's table. They were devoted to prayer. They had a sense of awe and wonder and of who God was and what God was doing. They were generous, no needy people in the early church. They shared meals together. They praised the Lord together. They shared the gospel. And God did some remarkable things. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer this morning and ask God to uh, use this passage to speak to our hearts. Lord, this is a, a good passage to uh, take some inventory of our church, but also of our individual lives. And Lord, as we go through these, these nine characteristics that the early church was committed to, Lord, perhaps we take inventory of our own lives this morning. And Lord, maybe there's one or two of these areas that your spirit will now uh, prompt in us that we, we, we need to... Um, Engage with in that discipline. Lord, help us to be devoted to your word, not just on Sundays, but Lord, throughout the week, help us to be in your word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, encourage us in our prayer life. 
Lord, I know sometimes it can get discouraging, but, but Lord, help us to be devoted to, to prayer. Lord, help us to be devoted to um, observing the Lord's table and remembering what you've done for us. Lord, may we be devoted to, to one another, to encouraging one another and praying for one another. And Lord, if, if there's a need that is here this morning that we can meet, Lord, help us to strip away our pride and be willing to just um, to humble ourselves and to re- realize that uh, we all have needs and that the body of Christ can help meet those needs. Lord, help us to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure. Lord, help us this week to, to share a meal with somebody and encourage them, whether it's inviting them into our home or meeting at a restaurant. Lord, help us to live a life of continuous praise to you on the mountaintop as well as in the valley. And Lord, um, would you help us to uh, be aware of the, the greatest thing that we can do for someone who doesn't know you, and that is to share the good news of the gospel. Lord, would you uh, give us the, the courage to do that? And uh, we will thank you and we will praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.